This is Josh Summers, and you're listening to Everyday Sublime, the podcast that endeavors to explore a full-spectrum spirituality. And by that I mean uh, in, this, in, this, in the conversations and in the Dharma talks that I share uh, in this podcast, I explore the, the light side, the transcendent, the beautiful aspects of spiritual practice. But I also open to reflections around the shadow side, the repressed side, the ugly side, the the warts and all side. Um, And my view or my hope is that by reflecting on both sides, uh, the yin and yang of spiritual practice, um, you or we together can further deepen our understanding of what wholeness, the wholeness of a human condition can be. And in this talk uh, that I gave earlier this week, um, I gave, first off, I should say, I gave a talk on the holiday of Martin Luther King Day in the United States. And this is the day where we acknowledge and celebrate the life and legacy of the great civil rights leader. And um, in this talk, I, I pull from a short passage of a letter that King wrote when he was imprisoned and got arrested and imprisoned in Birmingham, Alabama, for his nonviolent agitations. And in this in this talk, he, I share a passage from that letter where he outlines kind of his moral philosophy of nonviolence. And um, he talks about how nonviolence, nonviolent activism, creates a creative tension in culture, creates a creative tension in society that that forces the issue to bring about growth and change and transformation. And I try to link that creative tension that he's creating through nonviolent active activism, and I try to explore that in the context of a spiritual yoga or meditation practice. And I, I try to argue, and that's why I call it this in the, in the title, the creative tension of practice, that if we practice with the intention of non-harming, whether we're in a yoga pose or in a meditation pose, we might begin with you know, following simple guidelines to exercise, um, such as if you're feeling pain or if you're feeling aggressive physical sensations, then adjust your body, move or back off. That all makes really very simple sense, I think, you know, and, and it's a simple way of uh, exploring or beginning to explore the principle of nonviolence. But in the talk, I, I try to open up a deeper question, and I suggest that at the level of the heart-mind, this creative tension is always ultimately going to be a tension between the way things are and your mind's agenda for the way things could or should or ought to be. And there's no easy question here. I'm not trying to suggest that there's an easy formula, but in the laboratory of practice, I want to say that the the practitioner sits with this koan-like question, and it might be phrased or articulated like this, confronted by this creative tension between what is and what I like or what I prefer or what I think should be or what ought to be, caught in that creative tension, how do I act? And I'm framing this specifically as a question kind of in the Rilkean sense of a question to live, not a question to get the answer to, but a question to keep open, to, a question to keep alive in your practice and to keep that question alive. Not so much to get an answer, but in the Rilkean sense of living someday into the answer, but to live the question now. 
to live the question again in your practice each time you come. And on that note, if you'd like support in your practice, um, I'd, like you, I'd like to invite you to join me and Terry each week in our weekly classes where we have meditation class, qigong classes, yin yoga classes. Uh, we have four classes a week where we practice with uh, students and teachers of these systems and, and engage after the hour of practice. We engage in a, a very uh, rich and heartfelt discussion with shares, experiences, questions, other teachings. There's a great Sangha dialogue emerging, and it's an honor to be facilitating that, but I want you to be able to enjoy and participate in that too if you're interested. Don't be shy. We're a very friendly group, and um, we're seeing a lot of great development in the, 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 the online community that Terry and I are creating for yin yoga students and teachers. So if you're interested in that, do join us. There's a link for you in the show notes. We give you two weeks free trial, plus a copy of my new ebook, The What, Why, and How of Yin Yoga. Um, again, check out the link in the show notes. But without further ado, here's today's Dharma talk, The Creative Tension of Practice. One of the themes that I think is very palpable in our yoga practice is the theme of interconnection, interrelatedness. How <clears throat> when we release tension or we move a part of our, our body or a limb in a particular direction, we may take a piece of the whole, we may work with a piece of the whole, and after engaging in the action, whether it's the arm out to the side or the head moving in neck inflection and extension or any of the kind of movements and motions that we uh, go through in our yoga practice or qigong practice but with these practices what i notice and i think many of you can experience this too is that small changes in a piece of the whole can really confer or uh, bring about a, a, a change in the experience of the whole. And this relates to the, the holistic weaving of parts and the relationship to the whole. The, um, the American architect Buckminster Fuller designed structures that he called the you know geodesic domes that are um, essentially structures of poles or what they refer to as struts so wooden poles held together with uh, a tensional fabric in some cases a rubber rubber bands can hold these structures together and these domes are such that if you push one pole in or pull one pole out the tensional dynamic of the entire structure responds and and human beings are described by modern anatomists people who study anatomy as as possessing similar types of design in that our bones are these struts or these like pole like structures held together by and woven together by a tensional fabric 
known as the fascia. And this term is called biotensegrity. So tensegrity is the term that Bucky, Buckminster Fuller coined to refer to structures that are maintain their structure by a combination of hard compressive pieces floating within a sea of uh, tensioned fabric. And I think our yoga practice is what I'm trying to get at. Our yoga practice can give us a direct experience of that, a direct experience of that truth. And um, in experiencing that truth, then the, you know, one of the themes of spirituality that I try to address from time to time one of the themes that I try to bring up is the relationship between what we could call the inner work. And this is how the Taoists referred to it as the, the inner cultivation. And what is the relationship between the inner work and what we could refer to broadly as outer work, work in the world to address and redress illnesses that exist beyond you know, our bag of skin. So illnesses within society, illnesses within the environment. And many of the Taoists and, you know, even contemporary, contemporary deep psychologists like Carl Jung would say that before an individual is really fit to address illnesses outside of themselves, there's a a very important phase of internal development required to understand the root of conflict, the root of illness within that's inside and how to address it within ourselves before we hope to um, bring any kind of help or support or care to the outside world and i don't think it needs to be a a hard boundary you know you don't have to become perfect saints inside before we get to work outside but there is that that sense that we we really need to understand ourselves deeply understand our own motivations understand our own minds and hearts well before there can be skillful service in the world So this is all what I'm reflecting on so far is in some ways just um, context preparation for for the the part of the talk that I want to share now, which is um, a a very brief reflection on um, some words uh, from a letter that Martin Luther King Jr. wrote in 1963. So in the United States today is the the holiday that commemorates and honors the life, work, and passion of the civil rights leader. And last year, I I ended a, a talk at this time of year with a quotation from King, which I'll read again. And I I read it because so much of what he's saying here 
I think speaks are, are really eloquently to the awareness of interrelationship, the where the awareness of interconnection that I was just reflecting on around how, what we develop in our yoga practice and our meditation practice. He says here, injustice, injustice anywhere is a threat is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied to a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. And this is just another way of voicing this idea of interconnection and the, the, the dynamic of interconnection, where when we influence a part, that the influence on the part reverberates through the whole or is experienced by the whole. Now, I found that quote last year in a book on trauma. And the quote was just attributed to Martin Luther King Jr. It didn't give the source of where the quote was coming from. Um, but I was interested. I, was like, well, where, I asked myself, where did this quote, where really did this quote come from? And so I d- dug a little deeper and found that it was, lo- it, was, it was part of a letter that King wrote. It was an open public letter that, that King wrote when he was imprisoned in Birmingham shortly after protests, nonviolent protests that he was involved in organizing against segregation, against Jim Crow. And um, the letter is, is, you can look it up online, called Letter from a Birmingham Jail, or from the Birmingham Jail. I'll be including it in my newsletter tomorrow, a link to it. But as I read through that letter a few times, um, there was the context of the letter is that while in jail, he found that seven white religious leaders had come out and kind of euphemistically condemned the protests that King was involved in, calling the protests untimely and unwise and king's letter from the birmingham jail is really a blistering criticism of that charge and and so he's in the letter he's he's articulating some of the key foundations of nonviolent direct action or nonviolent protest and it's the way he articulated, particularly uh, a, a piece of this nonviolent movement that I think has tremendous spiritual significance 
not just for nonviolent action in the world, but for how we can contemplate or how we can experience a kind of nonviolent action in our meditation practice. So I want to try to use his words and his reflections around what nonviolent direct action involves. And in a sense, use his words as a reflection point for the meditation itself. So he, this is his another passage from this letter. He says, quote, Nonviolent direct action seeks to create a crisis and establish such creative tension that a community that is consistently refused to negotiate is forced to confront the issue. It seeks to dramatize the issue that it can no longer be ignored. And then he says, I just referred to the creation of tension. I just referred to the creation of tension as a part of the work of the nonviolent resistor. This may sound rather shocking, but I must confess that I am not afraid of the word tension. I have earnestly worked and preached against violent tension. But there is a type of constructive, nonviolent tension that is necessary for growth. There is a type of constructive, nonviolent tension that is necessary for growth. Just as Socrates felt that it was necessary to create a tension in the mind so that individuals could rise from the bondage of myths and half-truths to the unfettered realm of creative analysis and objective appraisal, we must see the need of having nonviolent gadflies <clears throat> We must see the need of having nonviolent gadflies to create the kind of tension in society that will help men and women to rise from the dark depths of prejudice and racism to the majestic heights of understanding and brotherhood. Now, I've read through this a few times, and so it with each reading the the um the 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 spirit of this 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 speech of this letter speaks to me more and more in terms of the tension that a meditative spiritual practice will create and this is what i want to kind of open up here as a, as a question because when we sit and when we relax within our sitting, that 
relaxation within what is that opens us to the facts of what is in our experience creates attention. It creates attention. And that tension is often in meditation described as the tension between what is and what the mind would prefer to be what is. So there's a discrepancy that the meditation, just this, and, and you could say, Meditation, I'm trying to suggest here, is a kind of nonviolent action. So the nonviolence is, in part, the intention we bring to our practice. How do we align around a sense of care, love, compassion, inwardly and outwardly? And in the simplicity of that, simplicity of sitting without distraction, without distortion, without kind of a compensation of turning your attention to something else. Without, with all the, in a sense, with all the escape routes compassionately closed for a period of time. But within the simplicity of sitting, we confront the patterns of our mind, the, 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 the dynamics in our being that are discontent, that are unsettled. And that can, there's a spectrum on that, of course. There's sort of uh, more trivial or superficial kinds of discontent. And then that can, so for example, maybe, you know, maybe the, maybe you didn't get the, the wood stoves cranked up enough on a cold morning and you're sitting and there's just a chill in the air. And so that can create a, a ruffle of discontent. Like, oh, I wish I had gotten the stove going more. I wish I had an extra blanket or a sweater. I'm calling that more of a surface level of discontent. But with practice, and the more you let the, sort of the, the normal preoccupations settle, the practice, I think, will bring us to much deeper questions that often scare, at least they scare me, and I, I'm assuming to some degree they might scare you. The questions around meaning in life, the questions around who you are when you're not thinking yourself into existence. How much time you have left. Regrets about what you did or didn't do. In other words, the quietude brings us up against these big themes.
And in the letter from the Birmingham jail, um, King outlines the four major aspects of nonviolent resistance. And he sort of suggests they progress in a, in a, in a, in a, in a stepwise manner. And I, I, I don't know how they progress in meditation. This is what I'm opening up for your, for your own reflection here. But he says there's a, a phase of nonviolent resistance, which is just fact gathering gathering the facts as much as possible to see where and how injustice exists. So there's a coming to truth or coming to clarity around what is. The second phase is negotiation. How do we negotiate from these facts? But something that he he lists in this letter, and he doesn't say too much about it in this particular letter, but something that really uh, caught my my eye was the third phase of nonviolent resistance, which was self-purification, which I take as a yogi, I interpret as a yogi, to mean the interrogation, the internal self-awareness and interrogation of our own motives. And the purification process is how do we hear our own motives and put aside motives that may not be so pure? How do we align with our deepest values or our most, uh, the values aligned with our, our higher angels, if you will? But the fourth phase, just so, you, so I mentioned them, is, is direct action. So this is not, nonviolence is not a, a path of passivity. And this is why I'm really uh, picking up on this passage from his letter as a meditative reflection. Because oftentimes people think, oh, meditation is just, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a practice of passivity. But it's not, it, that would be a, a misunderstanding in my view. That the activity of sitting in silence with gentleness, that is the nonviolent part. But as we sit, that the act of sitting this way will create a tension within us at times. What that tension is, is going to be conditioned by our own fears, our, un our own wounding, whatever is unresolved within our own hearts. And that may be today, it may not be today, but if you stay with the practice, I think you're gonna find that, which is why I'm mentioning it. So the question is, when we experience these tensions, and then within the tension, we'll, as I was saying more last year, we start to see the parts of ourselves that are in opposition to each other, that are in a sense segregated from each other within our own psyche, or in conflict with each other. And a lot of times I think people when they experience these tensions or these internal conflicts, 
are really grasping. Students are looking for simple formula or simple tools to just put that conflict to rest so that there can be a, a precious sense of peace. But as I've been trying to suggest, and there's just suggestions from my own practice, but to really, for what I've found, to really bring about long-term resolution to these internal conflicts, that involves skillful negotiation within oneself. Skillfully negotiating with an angry part and a righteous part, a fearful part, a terrified part, a wounded part. And it's beyond what I can get into now. We'll, we'll be continuing to cover these and, and address these things, these reflections going forward. But that negotiation works best, I found, when we're able to hear the perspective of the part we're negotiating with. Or if you want to speak about that, or if I want to think about that interpersonally, a conversation, a dialogue works best when one party is able, and ideally both parties are able to hear and understand and reflect what the other person's sharing. That's like a precondition for a good negotiation. So what I'm trying to suggest here, and, and this is, I, I, I'm aware that this is probably going to feel incomplete, um, and I know it will be incomplete, but I'm trying to suggest here is that what I heard in, in King's letter, particularly in that passage that I shared around nonviolent resistance, is that it's an action. It's that, that, that activity in the world is an action that, that will highlight the contradictions in a community, highlight the contradictions in a, in a situation, and meditation, in a similar way, will highlight the contradictions within. That's the that's the confront that's the direct confrontation piece. But with care, with the intention of purification, purifying our intention, purifying our energy purifying the direction in which we're focusing our precious human life. We can come to understand these conflicts within ourselves, bring about a resolution within. And if the Taoists are right, if Carl Jung was right, in so doing, gaining wisdom about how to be and act and speak with others. I was, um, Terry and I were watching a, um, a wonderful series on the civil rights movement, a documentary series called Eyes on the Prize. And at one point, there was a passage from King where he said, we're going to use the weapon of love. 
We're going to use the weapon of love. And another writer at another time, this is the British author Evelyn Waugh, in his book, Brideshead Revisited, said, to love and understand another human is the root of all wisdom. And we can often think of that in romantic terms. To love and know another romantic partner is the root of all wisdom. And maybe that's how the author meant it. But I want to flexibly adapt that passage. That our practice is a way of knowing and practicing loving ourselves. Which, when we do that skillfully, with non-resistant, well, sorry, with non-violent intention, and we really come to understand ourselves, perhaps that is the root of all wisdom. So I just want to offer those reflections, um, you know, today. And uh, I'll bring you into a meditation now. And then, um, you know, today and over the next several weeks, we'll continue to talk um, and explore the kinds of tensions, the kinds of creative tensions that our practice brings us to. And as a community, I'm hoping we can talk through how we find resolution, how we find uh, we ourselves navigating these tensions skillfully. Okay, I hope you enjoyed today's talk. I hope it, it kind of opens up your awareness of the creative tension in your practice and how you might uh, explore working with that, questioning it, living into the answer someday. Um, but before I say goodbye, I just want to one more time invite you to join me and Terry in our weekly classes of meditation, Qigong, and Yin Yoga, where we host the practices and then facilitate discussion with the students and teachers in our Sangha so that we can all benefit from our collective wisdom. If you'd like to join that collective wisdom, join the party of that conversation, there's a link for you in the show notes, and we look forward to practicing with you. Until next episode, take good care, stay safe, stay strong, keep practicing, and I look forward to seeing you soon. All the best.